Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com, and by Ocean State Bird Club, happy to sponsor Talking Birds. Why not shake off the midwinter blues with a bird walk? Or if it's too cold for your taste, come to one of our birding lectures or informal gatherings. We're online at www.OceanStateBirdClub.org and Facebook. Discover new ways to enjoy birding with Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 768. Well, many birds tweet. But not to be outdone by humans, they also retweet. Just a little dramatization there. As a new study from the University of Montana focusing on nuthatches describes its findings representing the first time people have shown that nuthatches are paying attention to the source of information and that that influences the signal they produce and send along. For warning calls, for example, each sound stands for a specific threat like snake on the ground, flying hawk, or perched hawk. The calls, which are heard by all species in the woods, cause birds to be on high alert as they learn of the danger level. Alarm calls can travel quickly through the woods, and one of the study's leaders, Professor Eric Green, says that in previous experiments, they clocked the speed of the calls at 100 miles an hour, which he likens to the bow wave on a ship And he suggests that, quote, sometimes birds in the woods know five minutes before a hawk gets there, end quote. The study aims to help researchers better understand how animal communication networks work and how different species decode information and pass it along to help others. As Professor Green said, we kind of wish people behaved like nuthatches. That's the sound of our mystery bird. Preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a little bit later in our show. Beautiful prizes await, and here are the clues. Our mystery bird is a small dabbler, about the size of a pigeon. It has a yellowish tail stripe and an iridescent green patch in the wings, and the colorful male sports a white vertical stripe up to the shoulder with a dark reddish and green head. Our bird, which winters in most of the U.S. except for the upper Midwest, pretty much, forages for seeds, aquatic insects, and mollusks in shallow ponds and along the coasts in tidal creeks, mudflats, and marshes. That's a little preview of our mystery bird contest, the beautiful Droll Yankees feeder and the Larkwire app to help learn about bird songs in a fun format. Prizes on our contest coming along in just a little bit. Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you right now on our Talking Birds website, TalkingBirds.com, and on our Facebook page. Wow, what an image. Radar captures an incredible explosion of migratory birds heading north over Key West, Florida. It is spectacular. Our home state of Massachusetts is one of six states that have banned illegal leg hold traps But they're still out there nonetheless, maiming and killing wildlife. We have a link to a story about how the New England Wildlife Center 
is trying to help some of the victims. And six finalists have been announced for World's Top Animal Conservation Award. The winner will receive the Indianapolis Conservation Prize and $250,000. Those are some of the stories you'll find on our TalkingBirds.com website and on our Facebook page right now. A reminder to check out our new Kids in Nature page for terrific ideas about getting kids interested in nature and birds. Conservation Salute of the Week. Two of them, actually, to the employees of Amazon and to their boss, Jeff Bezos. Last May, thousands of Amazon employees submitted a proposal asking Bezos to develop a comprehensive climate change plan and to reduce Amazon's carbon footprint. Their proposal was rejected. And in September, more than 1,700 Amazon employees threatened to walk out unless their company did more to fight climate change. Well, their boss, Jeff Bezos, who happens to be the world's wealthiest person, finally stepped up and in a big way. This past Monday, while stating that climate change is the biggest threat to our planet, Bezos announced that he was committing $10 billion to combat climate change through a global initiative called the Bezos Earth Fund. It'll support scientists, activists, non-governmental organizations, and as Bezos put it, any effort that offers a real possibility to help preserve and protect the natural world. He says he expects to begin issuing grants this summer. Meanwhile, although Amazon is still delivering goods and gasoline-powered vehicles, they have ordered an astounding number of electric trucks, 100,000 of them to be precise, from Michigan-based sustainable transportation company Rivian, the order is part of Amazon's larger pledge to reach zero net carbon emissions by 2040. Meanwhile, here's a conservation good and quite surprising news item, kind of related to the above story. Time magazine reports that in Britain, the sale of new gasoline and diesel-powered cars will be banned beginning in 2035. And this is the surprising part. That ban will also include hybrid cars. In banning gasoline and diesel vehicles, Britain is joining Norway, which says it will ban those cars in 2025, and Ireland, Israel, Denmark, and Slovenia, which all aim to enact bans on gasoline and diesel new car sales by 2030. But Britain seems to be going a step further with the ban on sales of new partially fossil-fueled hybrid cars in 20. 35. Pretty amazing. I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you. We are so thankful for more great Talking Birds listeners joining the ranks of our Ambassadors family, helping us to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. Thank you so much to Vincent N. from Punta Gorda, Florida, right by beautiful Charlotte Harbor Preserve. State Park. Thank you, Vincent. And thank you to Bruce Dean from Steamboat Springs, Colorado. He says, thanks for the show. Been listening for six plus years. And when I started, I went back and listened to all the old shows I could find. There's a lot of them there. Thank you so much, Bruce. We hope you'll join our Talking Birds Ambassadors family. Easy to do. Go to TalkingBirds.com. Click on the Get Involved button up at the top and you'll see the Become an Ambassador button. Still to come on our show today, we'll meet a man from Philadelphia. His name is Tony Crosdale, and he'll tell us about 
an amazing urban birding and outreach program called Bird Philly and about his efforts to help provide birding tools to all who want them and to make birding accessible to visually challenged folks. Plus, we'll catch up live this time with Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment from the Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod in which Mike will explain how to cope with critters who chew on the nest boxes in your yard to expand the openings. Yes, it's Mike's take on birdhouse repair. And up next, a sort of a southern bird with a clearly northern name is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. What's a southern bird doing with a northern name? Referring here to the northern mockingbird. A medium-sized, slender songbird that's gray above and whitish below with two white wing bars and famous for its wing flash display in which it opens its wings in jerky steps showing off those big white wing patches possibly to startle insects, making them easier to catch. The Northern Mockingbird is famous, too, for its amazing mimicry, in which it's been known to imitate not only other birds, but also dogs, cats, frogs, car horns, and police sirens, while showing off a wide range of its own songs. From the late 1700s to the early 1900s, Northern Mockingbirds were captured and sold as caged birds throughout the U.S. and parts of Europe. Thomas Jefferson even had one in his cabinet. As a free-flying species, the northern mockingbird wasn't seen much in the northern half of the U.S. until the mid-1800s. It continued spreading northward through the 20th century and is now found as far up as Maritime Canada. And it could be said, after all, that the northern mockingbird name does make sense, considering that it has a close relative from farther south, the tropical mockingbird, which ranges from southern Mexico to northern Brazil and the Caribbean. There are many other species of mockingbirds, too, mostly in the Mimus genus and all in the Mimidae family, but our featured feathered friend is the one called Mimus polyglottos, the northern mockingbird. Welcome again. It's our show number 768. If you haven't visited our new website, we hope you will, TalkinBirds.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at TalkinBirds. Tony Crosdale is a leader of an urban birding-focused organization called Bird Philly, doing some great things in the great city of Philadelphia, and he joins us from there right now. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. I know we have sunshine here in the Boston area. You have sunshine in Philly. It's a beautiful morning and a great day for birding and getting outdoors, which is certainly your focus and in an urban kind of way, generally, right? Tell us about Bird Philly and what, what you do. All right, so Bird Philly is an initiative with the Delaware Valley Ornithological Club, Philadelphia Parks and Recreation, and the Free Library of Philadelphia. Uh, we also work with some other organizations in the area, um, Pennsylvania Audubon, they opened up a facility fairly recently in Philadelphia, um, Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, John Hines National Wildlife Refuge, uh, Tukenita Tacony Frankfurt Watershed Association, and a few uh, Barton's Gardens, and a few other um, local um, 
private like nonprofits that have property and and and, and do um, or do like um, park advocacy, what have you. Okay, and you're really focused on uh, urban birding, right? Pretty much within the Philadelphia city limits. Yeah, and and so the Delaware Valley Ornithological Club has been around since 1890. We're based actually in Philadelphia at the Academy of Natural Sciences, where we have our meetings. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me, I've been a member for 15 years. It occurred to me that our field trips, other than John Hines, which is the major wildlife refuge, um, you know, it's a major birding spot in Philly. Other than that one spot, there's very few trips throughout Philadelphia. Uh, generally, they're in the surrounding area. Philadelphia mm-hmm. is very close to Cape May. Um, we're, you know, we border New Jersey, and New Jersey's legendary for birding. Plus, you know, Hawk Mountain is very close. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the suburbs is reservoirs and reserves and what have you. So a lot of the um, trips tend to be not in city limits. However, in the time since the club's been around, there's been lo- more local birding clubs, like the Bucks County Birders, um, the Audubon Chapters mm-hmm. have sprung up. And so it's it, there's less... Of it, sorry, the city does not have its own bird club besides the DVOC, and the DVOC was actually doing more field trips outside of city limits. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, why don't we make a push to focus on birding in city limits? And we're the club that should be doing this because we're actually headquartered in the city, and it's a great way to, sh- to showcase the great birding opportunities we have in the city to the greater region, but I think more importantly is to try to engage the inner city residents of Philadelphia in birding. Mm-hmm. Because we have such an success. We have the largest, one of the largest park systems of any city in, in the world. We have a refuge in the city, like I mentioned earlier. There's a lot of birding opportunities in the city that are accessible by public transit, walking. So let's try to engage folks in the city and share this great resource. And what can we do to make it accessible? And how is it working out in terms of inner city folks getting involved? Uh, it's It's... Um, definitely, I, I'd say very effective. Um, mm-hmm. We have uh, our walks are very well attended. We have a, a great diversity of people, and we, you know, so a lot of times it's we, we definitely have people who become, you know, birders um, in uh, inner city folks that are in the birding. But we also get a lot of things where we we partner with groups, and we get people out birding for the first time, and they may not continue to go birding, but we get a lot of people. We put binoculars in a lot of folks' hands who have never done it before. And that, you know, we have Tukadi Tukoni Frankfurt Waters Association. Um, they have bilingual bird walks in a um, largely Latino neighborhood. We have um, these but uh, backpacks with binoculars and field guides available at seven different library branches. You know, all, everything we do is free unless, of course, it's at a place that charges um, an entrance fee, yeah, like an arboretum or whatnot. So, right. and we bring usually a a bunch of binoculars in a bag just to hand out to anybody who doesn't have binoculars. So we try to, you know, look at the barriers to, you know, especially economic barriers to getting involved in birding. Sure. You, we talked a little bit the other day about that library backpack program. That is pretty cool. Seven branches in Philadelphia. So anybody who wants to go birding but doesn't have binoculars or a field guide and can just go to those branches and, and get what they need. Absolutely, yeah. So we have, they have binoculars, a uh, field guide, and then very importantly, um, a map of the the nearest place to go mm-hmm. to go birding. You know, to, uh, and you know, if it's up in Andorra, in the Andorra neighborhood, it's the map of the Wissahickon, nineteen hundred acre uh, park. We have, uh, friends of Hicken have these tremendous maps. That's in there. If it's in uh, West uh, Philly, Cows Creek, we have the uh, trail map of my park. I said where I work, uh, Cows Creek Park is in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones in North Philly, um, 
Fairmount Park Conservancy uh, have these great maps of, of Fairmount Park. So there's all, you know, we have these great resources so people know exactly how they, you know, where, not only can they get the binoculars, but know where they use them. Tell us quickly, uh, Tony, uh, time is a bit short here, about some of your efforts to uh, help visually impaired folks who want to do some birding. Yeah, I partnered with a group called uh, Philadelphia Touch Tours. And we do a program usually every year, every other year. Um, with them, although it's open to the public, it's free. Um, any, you don't have to be part of that group as we advertise it to the greater um, community. Where we, it's a two-part program. The first part is indoors where we have specimens that folks can hold. So, you know, when we're talking, you know, they can get a feel for the size of the birds, feel their bills, mm-hmm. their feet. We have uh, wings, uh, things, you know, materials like that. We also have um, images of birds that have been printed on with, uh, like, tactile ink on special printers so they can mm-hmm. feel the outlines mm. and, you know, the names are in Braille. And I do, um, I play bird songs to give a whole lecture on um, bird you know, songs and calls and of the, of the common birds you might, you might encounter. And then that's backed up with a, a field trip. And, and we time it generally in May, um, late May, as you can imagine, when... Mm-hmm. The breeding birds are in and singing, and we get some migrants, and we go out for a walk, and we identify birds in the field. Tony has a podcast, too. Tony, her the Urban Wildlife Podcast, and you're about to launch a, a website, if I have this right, wildlifeobservernetwork.com, right? Yes. Yeah, Urban Wildlife Podcast has been around for five years, but now we're expanding to um, cover all different types of wildlife content, not just um, wildlife in the city. Mm-hmm. And we, we have a, um, we're going to have a, you know, this podcast on website and well as a YouTube channel. Cool. Wildlife Observer Network dot com and that Bird Philly website uh, is birdphilly dot org. Tony Crosdale doing some great work there in Philadelphia. Tony, thanks so much for being with us and keep up that good work. Thank you. Cheers. Coming up next here, it's our mystery bird contest it's in just one minute. What's one of your favorite memories? <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, well, there was this one time I went camping with my parents in a forest back when I was maybe like eight or nine. And, um, I can remember one night we were laying out in our hammocks and we were just, you know, watching the trees rustling in the wind above us and we could hear the sounds of the forest all around us. Frogs singing and owls calling and the creek running nearby. It was amazing. It felt like... We were a part of it all. I don't know if I do it justice trying to describe it, but I'll definitely never forget it. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. Our mystery bird contest is presented by Birdwatcher's Digest. Birdwatcher's Digest is much more than a magazine. Explore their publications, events, online birding store, and birding tours at birdwatchersdigest.com. We have some really good looks at our mystery bird at a place called the Squantum Marshes on the south end of Boston Harbor just recently. Here's the sound of our mystery bird. It's a small dabbler, about the size of a pigeon. It has a yellowish tail stripe and an iridescent green patch in the wings. 
And the colorful male sports a white vertical stripe up to the shoulder with a dark reddish and green head. Our bird, which winters in most of the U.S., except for the upper Midwest, forages for seeds, aquatic insects, and mollusks in shallow ponds and along the coasts in tidal creeks, mudflats, and marshes, just like the one we were watching just recently. Our mystery bird there. Beautiful prizes include the Droll Yankees original iconic A6F classic tube feeder. Often imitated, but as they say, never duplicated. It features durable metal parts that squirrels can't chew. And backed by a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Bonus prize, a great way to learn about bird sounds in a game format. It's the LarkWire app. And it works with your iPhone or with your computer, your laptop or desktop or what have you. Those are the prizes and the clues and the sound of our mystery bird. And the thing to do now would be to give us a call and tell us what you think the bird is. Take a guess because no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner of those beautiful prizes. So give it a try at 781-837-4900 and please don't wait to call. Call as soon as you can. 781-837-4900 is the number. Next, let's ask Mike live in just one minute. We're for the birds, and we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about our show and about birds in conservation. My name is Laura Jimenez, and I'm calling from Carpinteria, California. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because I realized I already was being an ambassador, and getting the cards was a great supplement to telling people about the show. I would encourage all listeners to become Talking Birds ambassadors to get the word out about the show and the importance of being aware of our impact on the environment and the wonder of the birds around Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our Ambassadors family. It's easy to do. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage and then choose the Become an Ambassador option at TalkingBirds.com. And thanks. Down to beautiful Cape Cod and the famous Bird Watchers General Store as we're about to hook up here with Talking Birds resident backyard handyman, Mike O'Connor, <laughs> fixing those uh, nest boxes. <laughs> Those are the ones that squirrels can chew, generally speaking. (laughs) Sounds like a PBS show, doesn't it? (laughs) The squirrel handyman. (laughs) Yeah, right now it's February, and uh, it's unseasonably mild around in my part of the world and maybe in a lot of parts of the country, unfortunately, although we got kind of mixed messages, right? We we appreciate the milder weather, but we know it's not necessarily the best thing. But a lot of people... A lot of my customers are coming in because they're checking out their birdhouses for the spring because the birds start looking into them in, in another few weeks. In, in the middle of March, they get pretty pretty active. And they find they've been chewed, the entrance hole has been chewed over the winter. And oftentimes it's squirrels, sometimes it's other woodpeckers trying to make the hole larger, either to roost in there or to, to nest in there. Not with the woodpeckers, but with the squirrels. And so they want to replace the house. And I give them an option where you could just, if the damage isn't too bad, uh, a lot of companies sell these wooden predator guards, which is basically 
a wooden block, like a piece of Texas toast with a hole drilled into it. And you can just screw that on the outside. Now, the idea of a predator guard is to make, it's a thick piece of wood to make the hole deeper. So if a predator, namely a raccoon, reaches in, it makes it more difficult to reach into the birdhouse. Mm-hmm. And if you can see my hand, Ray, I'm moving it in the direction. Can you just, can you see what I'm doing? Just barely make it out there. Like, so <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the raccoon reaches his paw through the hole and tries to get the baby bird. These predator mm-hmm. guards thicken up the hole, ah. and so they can't, in theory, you know, at least they help mm-hmm. prevent them from reaching in. Mm-hmm. The predator guard also, with a big sense of the big piece of wood and screws on, it'll cover up a lot of the damage that the squirrel and or woodpecker has done. So instead of buying a new box, you can just add one of these. Then you can add a little metal portal, a little metal ring, a little metal plate, screw that on the outside of the whole thing. And that keeps the next time around from the squirrels from chewing the hole larger. Mm-hmm. They'll actually come in and, and so so you get a thick piece of wood covering up the damage. And those are cheap. You can get or you can make your own. It's just a little block of wood, drill a hole in it and you can make your own. And then add this little metal portal. We call them squirrel tooth benders Ouch. because the squirrels bend their teeth when they're trying to chew, chew them. And you can get those a lot of the burning places. And that will prevent that. Now, I have a little, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of torn with this because uh, in the summer, a lot of people who haven't fixed their birdhouses now have these dynamos holes get unusual birds living in them. And, mm-hmm. and that unusual bird invariably turns out to be a great crested flycatcher. They make great crested flycatcher nest boxes. But not, not many people buy them because they don't know much about the bird because it's, it's, it's not a bluebird, it's not a chickadee, mm-hmm. it's not something we're all that familiar with. So when the when a, a creature makes the hole larger, all of a sudden you get a new bird in there. So my advice is repair your birdhouse, put the metal plate on it, and have it ready to go, and then go out and buy a box specifically for the great crested flycatchers, and everybody will be happy. All right. Thank you, Mr. Handyman. That's good <laughs> i got to go pack up my tools now and get ready for work. All right. Talk to you next week, Mike. Okay. Sounds great. Mike O'Connor at the Bird Watchers General Store. We're back to the Mystery Bird Contest right after this. Every Wednesday, Bird Watching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to bird watchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. That's our mystery bird. A dabbler, a small dabbler with a yellowish tail stripe, an iridescent green patch in the wings. Colorful male sports a white vertical stripe up to the shoulder with a dark reddish and green head. What would that mystery bird be? Alex is in Weymouth, Massachusetts. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. You sound so. It must be the sunshine, Alex. I love the I love the show, Ray. Oh, thank you so much. I hope you thank love. You. The, I hope you love the results of your guess on the mystery bird. But we'll see. What do you think it is? Now that I heard it for a third time, I don't know, Ray. Is it a dick sissel? <laughs> a dick sissel? That's an interesting uh, guess, but it doesn't appear oh, to be no. exactly correct. Top quality guess, though. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry about that one. That wasn't too good. <laughs> thank you, Alex. Try us again. All right. Thank you, Ray. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. You too. Uh, Alex in Weymouth, Mass, guessing a dick sizzle. Not what we were looking for exactly. Let's try Ethan in Sandwich, Illinois. Good morning, Ethan. Good morning, Ray. Good morning to you. Uh, in Sandwich, Illinois is exactly where? 
Uh, it is in the northern part of the state, north central Illinois. North central north Illinois. Chicago. All right, north. Okay. So what about our mystery bird, Ethan? Time to go with the green wing teal. Let me check on that. A green wing teal is the uh, guest there. Yes. Nice job. Green wing teal. Absolutely. The yellow correct. tail stripe gave it away. Uh, what gave it away? Oh, the yellowish tail stripe. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. So um, I'm not sure. You have green-winged teals up north of Chicago? Where you're in a... uh, we do, yes. Yeah? In fact, okay. I went on a bird walk with a local Audubon in the area and saw one. All right, nice. Well, stay on the line, Ethan. We'll get your info and send you those prizes. Will do. Thank you. Okay, thanks to Ethan in Sandwich, Illinois, correctly identifying the green-winged teal uh, as our mystery bird. It breeds through Alaska and Canada, southward to the northern Great Plains and Great Lakes, as well as in northern Eurasia. We are out of time, believe it or not, for our show this morning. Uh, Coming up next week, our awesome Aussie, Freya McGregor, will join us to talk about a thing called the Talking Birds Flock. And in a couple of weeks, on March 8th, to be exact, we'll be broadcasting live from the Mass Audubon Birders Meeting. Holy Cross College in Worcester, Massachusetts. Thanks to our great team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod. BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com and by Ocean State Bird Club. Happy to sponsor Talking Birds. Why not shake off the midwinter blues with a bird walk? Or if it's too cold for your taste, come to one of our birding lectures or informal gatherings. We're online at www.OceanStateBirdClub.org and Facebook. Discover new ways to enjoy birding with Ocean State Bird Club.